It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Anthony, today we are fueled up. We are ready to go. I've had not just one, but two bacon, egg, and cheese bagels in the last hour and a half. And I feel I feel good. I feel like I'm ready to do a radio show. You had two in that bag? Yeah. It was a buy one, <laughs> get one free. Oh, wow. That's smart. What was I going to do? Be like, nah, only bring one, especially with as hungry as I was. Nah. Well, you've had a bagel. I've had a five-hour five hour energy, so uh, oh, I'm all pumped up. Buddy, we are in trouble. Anthony is just hit, you know, all hyped up on caffeine. No, I'm joking. I, I don't think I've ever consumed a I was going to say, you don't, you don't do caffeine. Nope. What would happen if you did have a five-hour oh energy gosh. drink or a Red Bull or a Celsius? The, the most annoying, obnoxious person ever. You know how the junkies do their drinking show? Yep. What if we did a, a caffeine show for you? Oh, my goodness. To be honest, I think I might crash also, like, really bad. I think I'll it be- could get dangerous. I mean, we, we couldn't do it the same <laughs> way where you just keep adding. Like, that would be that would be really bad if we just kept it going and kept it going, and all of a sudden, by the end of the show, you got, like, 400 milligrams of caffeine in your system. And, yeah. and you yeah, that would be – forget the crash, like, the – the burn would be terrible. Like you, you would be like, Craig, I think I'm having a heart attack. Yeah. I, w- I wouldn't know what to do either. I think I would start panicking. Probably. Yeah. Um, you would definitely get very panicky. Yeah. That would be, that would be big time bad. Um, <laughs> but like a cup of coffee could be fun. We could start there. Coffee is nasty. Maybe I've only can... tried coffee once. Did you and have I think sweeteners a... and, and like milk and, you know, did you, do you have, a, or did you just have black coffee? I don't know. I was 10 years old, but I think it was a black coffee because that's how disgusting it was. Yeah. Also, you were 10. Yeah. Coffee is kind of an acquired taste thing. Yeah. I don't so, I don't think I want to even go back down that rabbit hole. Honestly, if coffee. you've gotten this far in your life without caffeine, you should probably just keep going. Yep. Um, I'm definitely someone who, like, if I don't have my coffee in the morning now, I'm, like, I'm a little more reliant on it than I want to be. Maybe <sighs> I should cycle off it for a week. Ooh. And then you'll be like me and just never go back to coffee again. But I, but I'm not I'm oh. not. The thing is, I enjoy coffee. Like I enjoy oh. having a cup of coffee in the morning. But I'm not like a I need six cups and one always in my hand to function type of person. Yeah, I'm just. Uh, I know a few of those people. Yeah, it's uh it's bad. Anyway, we should get going with the show because it's a major major news day. Um, Jacoby Reset has been named the starter for the Commanders for Week 17. Uh, you heard that live this morning on Kevin Sheehan's show here on the team. 980 when Rivera made that announcement and and I would say there were there's three main points I would like to make and I'll I will well we'll see how it goes whether I get to all three of them this segment or whether or not we carry it over um or but we definitely were gonna you know normally we do vibe check Tuesday uh we're kind of gonna do vibe check Wednesday here uh so we'll take your calls on all the quarterback stuff at 301-230-0980 here in just a few minutes but The first major point I would like to make is that this was an organizational failure. And what I mean by this is an organizational failure is this team failed to set up for a successful season any number of ways from day one. Now, with that said, I will take an even larger step back. This is not one of the three points and say this is the absolute best thing to happen to this organization um, in terms of the complete and total failure if you're gonna fail make it so there's no doubt make it so that there are zero questions make it so that your owner 
has an easy decision to move on from everyone. No tough ones, no consternation, no nothing. This is the cleanest of clean breaks that is coming after this season and good because there's no reason to keep anybody. All due respect. I think, you know, there's some, are there some coaches on this staff that are good coaches? Randy Jordan's been a good running backs coach here for a long time. And he's, he's been through multiple administrations. He's worked for multiple OCs. He's been adaptable. And his running backs, by and large, have done a good job. I mean, he's had so many different guys, none of whom are uber talents, have productive seasons. I mean, again, Fat Rob for a while was like, is this dude really good? Um, and then, you know, when Adrian Peterson was here, obviously the best back they've had recently, even though AP was advanced uh, in his career, like AP was a 1,000-yard rusher. Antonio Gibson, 1,000-yard rusher. Um, B-Rob has been really good uh, when he's been healthy. So Randy Jordan's done a good job, for instance. But, like, you don't need to keep him. Just move on from basically everybody. Um, Now, I do think that there's a couple of people, and we'll get to this in the offseason. I don't need to get too distracted now. Potentially, there are some coaches who have relationships with a Frank Smith, with a Ben Johnson, similar trees, similar backgrounds, have crossed paths before. There are some coaches that may be back, and that's fine. Um, But the biggest players, your coordinators, one of whom is already gone, um, your head coach, your general manager, all those folks, see ya. Have a good time in your next gig. We wish you the best. There's no reason to keep you. Um, And that clarity is good. But in the vacuum of the context of this season, they have failed from go. Part of this was organizational by Dan Snyder, right? The money was tight. Uh, the staffing wasn't ideal. And, you know, obviously, who knows? Like, Ron was able to fire Scott Turner, but, like, could Ron have been gone after last season? I think most of us have said, under different circumstances, we wouldn't even be talking about this because Ron Rivera wouldn't have been the coach. But because of the ownership situation, Obviously, we didn't want Dan to fire Ron because that means Dan gets to hire another coach. So this was the lesser of two evils, even as evil, so to speak, within a football context, this has turned out to be. So it started all the way back then. It trickles down to Rivera, you know, doing whatever he did with the staff, uh, not firing guys. And maybe there were some restrictions on him. Maybe there weren't. Um, but bad decisions certainly within the season. You know, a defense could have could have helped Sam out, and they are playing better now. Clearly, Ron had other ideas. It's not like he just ran Jack stuff. So why didn't after the Chicago game, for instance, why didn't Ron fire Jack then? Why didn't Ron be more forceful and say, "We're doing this this way. You're going to implement my stuff. I'm the head coach. Your stuff stinks. It's not working." So there's an organizational failure on that level, and then from a roster building standpoint. Did they have ultimate flexibility and free agency? No. Um, budgetarily, that just wasn't in the cards this offseason. Fine. But they had to do some stuff. And they chose to not prioritize the offensive line. And they chose in the draft to pick defensive backs in their first two picks instead of creating a better situation for Sam Howell. I don't think choosing Sam Howell was uh, an inevitable way to fail. I think Sam proved that there was something there. And whether it still is or whether it's been beaten out of him, like we're going to see over the long term, and I'll get to that in a second. But on an organizational standpoint, they went into this season with a roster not built to support this young quarterback and then an approach from Eric Bieniemy that is an all-time bad idea. You went into a season 
with a quarterback who's had a sack problem, who doesn't see over the middle of the field well, who lists all of Sam's flaws here, and you ask him to throw the ball, drop back more than any other quarterback in the league. And as a head coach, Ron Rivera never stepped in with enough force to go, and maybe he did step in at times, but not with enough force to ever get it fixed. He never was like, hey, dude, you're going to kill our guy. Because even if the sack rate is bad earlier in the season, you don't take nine sacks if you're not dropping back damn near 50 times. It's impossible. The opportunities are not there. And maybe the worst thing to happen was they had some success with it early. And they were like, oh, we're on to something. It's like, no, you're not. You're, you're, you're getting lucky. You played the Broncos at the point where they were the worst defense the NFL's ever seen. You put up 35 the week before Miami put up 70. You played the Cardinals in their first game under a new head coach. Fool's gold. And you were the fool. It's a total organizational failure to support Sam Howell. And so, yes, has Sam regressed? Is a lot of this on Sam and his performance and his his lack of growth? Yes. But plants only grow if you water them and give them sunlight. And they basically stuck Sam Howell in the dark and hoped for the best. Which is why I'm not sure this is the end for Sam Howell. That's the second point I want to make. And then there's, well, a third too. I already told you that. Uh, We'll get to points two and three I want to make about this decision. And then we'll take your calls next. 301-230-0980. It's the Hoffman Show on a Wednesday here on the Team 980. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980. Always live as well on the free Odyssey app. We are streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980 as well. Should check the chat. Make sure we got the right audio and everything today after yesterday's adventure. Uh, Anthony, you just gave me the, the thumbs up. We're all good. You've checked the chat. Anybody interesting say anything in the chat yet? Uh, I didn't check the chat. I just listened to the, the stream. YouTube stream. Okay, that's good. That's fair enough. Uh, if you leave a comment in the chat, I'll definitely check them out in the next commercial break. And and uh, we will read many of your comments on the stream uh, slash what ones you've left on our on-demand videos coming up at 530 because it is a Wednesday, even though it feels like a Tuesday. And, uh, and that's when we do never read the comments. All right, back to... The points, if you will. Uh, Three main points I want to make about this Sam Howell decision slash announcement today from Ron Rivera uh, that Jacoby Brissett will be the starter for Week 17. Uh, The first is that it's an organizational failure. Covered that in the last segment if you're just tuning in. Luckily for you, there is the Rewind feature on the free Odyssey app, and the podcast will be on demand, so you can go back and listen to that very soon. Uh, However, the second point I'd like to make is this. Sam's career is not over. And I think this is the one that most people are going to disagree with. And I get it because right now it feels as over as over could be. Like he just got benched. You're That's them saying he's not the guy. Sure. Sure. Here's a couple things I would tell you. One, them saying anything means bubka, squadoosh, nada, zilch, zippy. Zero. Why? Because them's not going to be here. And I could 100% see Ben Johnson, Frank Smith, Bobby Slowick, one of these offensive coaches who have played with quarterbacks on the up 
not the elites, not the Patrick Mahomes of the world, watching the game tape, seeing Sam Howell do the high-level stuff that he did earlier in the year, watching him deteriorate, watching the game plan, watching how often he was dropped back, watching some of the offensive line play, watching some of the mental mistakes the offensive line has made, watching how undetailed some of the stuff that has happened here is, and simply going, this is ridiculous. I cannot believe they tried to play offense this way. This kid has something, and I know how to get it out of him. Because if I'm Ben Johnson, and that's what I've done with Jared Goff, now Goff was more successful in LA than Sam has been here, but like, and Jared was a number one pick. Let's not forget that. Let's not be disrespectful and say they're the same guy. Or if I'm uh, Canellis down in Tampa, and maybe the best comparison to anyone for Sam is Baker Mayfield. And I'm Dave Canellis down as the offensive coordinator in Tampa, and I'm like, I know what to do with this kid. It's what I just did with Baker. Sick. Now, Baker, also number one overall pick, but from a size standpoint, et cetera, you're, you're talking about much more similar players. Uh, mobility, all that kind of stuff. I think Sam's a better runner than Baker, but Baker can move around a little bit. Point is, if you get someone who believes in scheming things up for a quarterback and they come in and they're like, look, I don't really like Daniels. I don't like uh, J.J. McCarthy. I don't like uh, Penix. I don't like Knicks. Like, I don't like any of these quarterbacks any more than I like what Howell's already done. I've had a conversation with the kid. He's not cooked. He's fine. He just needed to take a deep breath and a step back. I know how to actually insulate him. I know how to incubate him. And by the way, I'm going to get way better talent around him because I'm going to take Marvin Harrison Jr. and get him the big X receiver that he needs. Or I'm going to take Olu Fashanu and I'm going to give him a stud left tackle and we're going to spend 50 of our $80 million that we have in free agency on offensive linemen and our offensive line is going to be sick next year. Like, yeah, I could see that Sam could be the guy here. But also, Sam might be on a Baker Mayfield journey. He might get benched. He might be the backup here for a couple of years. He might eventually wind up getting traded somewhere else or signing somewhere else in free agency three years down the line and being a decent player and working his way back into the league. Um, Here's the thing about a young quarterback getting benched. There is tremendous precedent for four guys bouncing in and out of a lineup and ultimately not becoming... Patrick Mahomes, like Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. That was preordained. Peyton Manning's Peyton Manning. But outside of the select few, the Andrew Lux, um, et cetera, like some guys take time. And Rodgers sat for a bunch of years. Brady sat for a couple of years. Um, Kirk Cousins is, is the best example here. Kirk got benched multiple times in 2013, 2014. He is, at the time that he got hurt this year, was playing as a top 10 quarterback and has been a borderline top 10 quarterback the last couple of years. And other guys, whether even if it's because of injury, have been in and out of the lineup. Like, Tua's been in and out of the lineup. Injury-related, but he's been in and out of the lineup, and he's been better every time he's gotten back. Sometimes playing a little bit, taking a step back, uh, getting to watch some tape, getting to watch someone else do it, especially a veteran. I mean, Tua got to watch Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, Actually, no, I apologize. That was, the timelines are off there. Um, But... Obviously, we've we've seen different quarterbacks get to watch other guys play, and it can be beneficial. Rodgers watching Favre back in the day. Now, Rodgers, insanely talented, way underdrafted, etc. But like Mahomes watching Alex Smith. You watch a guy operate the system, and, and okay, I see how it's done now. I'm going to go do it. 
I see the timing. I see the rhythm. I see what he's looking for, and I see that it works. So is this good for Sam Howell? No. No, 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 no. This is this is not his ideal. I shouldn't even say is it good? No. Is it ideal? No. Because ideal would be Sam was playing awesome, and he continued to grow, and we're never having this discussion because he just got better and better as the year went. But that's not how it went. In the spi- He's in a spiral right now. We've all had moments in our life where we need to get pulled out of a spiral, professionally, personally, whatever it may be, take a deep breath, and be like, okay, you want to know what? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm ready. And then you probably need to take an extra deep breath until you're actually ready. Don't rush back into it. And maybe Sam plays against Dallas. Maybe he doesn't. But he's not cooked forever because of this. He might be, but it's not It's not a one-to-one straight line comparison here. This doesn't mean that he will never play in the NFL again. And I'm not going to say that I would bet on him being successful because I've obviously seen how the last few weeks have gone, and I think that there are some concerning flaws in his game. I'm not trying to absolve him from all fault here or say that if – if the approach was different, if the organizational failure didn't fail, then like we're, we're, they just ruined a star, right? But we definitely didn't maximize his chances of success here. And or we definitely didn't see, I'm not going to say we didn't because I didn't have anything to do with it. We didn't see his chances of success maximized here. And within there is still a football player that's done a lot of high-level stuff at a very young age. Is still very young and has a long career in front of him and seems to have a great head on his shoulders. So it doesn't mean that he's done. It doesn't mean that he's done here. And that leads to point number three, which is the future calculation still hasn't changed. We are still at a place where you have to look at quarterback, which is where they've been all along. What's changed is the numbers in the equation. So I guess in that way, the calculation has changed. The equation hasn't changed. If you don't like any of the quarterbacks when you're on the board and you love a non-quarterback, you should take the non-quarterback. And that's the most unpopular opinion in town right now. And I don't really care. I don't do this for popular opinions. I do this because I want to try to say smart stuff. And um, I think that's my job is to try to give you my honest my honest opinion based off of years of reporting and talking to smart people and and watching the league and, and understanding how it works. There are multiple ways to do this, and I think that's maybe the more important point, right? A couple of years ago, Detroit had some just choices to make in terms of who they took. They took Panay Sewell. It has totally worked out for them. They traded for Goff. That's how they got their quarterback. They took Sewell at, at right tackle, and he has turned into one of the best offensive linemen in the league. For a team that runs the ball a lot, has great protection. They use him out in space. They've, they've actually got like a really good systematic way of maximizing a top 10 picks talent in Panay Sewell, even though he's a right tackle. They drafted these running backs like Jameer Gibbs. They signed guys like David Montgomery, and they get them out in space behind Panay Sewell. They're like, we have a star, even though he's a tackle. How do we use him in the way that at times – Trent Williams was used here and how Trent is used out in San Francisco by Kyle. So if you think Olufashanu is that damn good and you don't like the quarterback that is available to you, then you should take the left tackle or you should, you know, yes, Cincinnati also had Joe Burrow, but a huge game changer for them was Jamar Chase. Taking the wide receiver worked out. It can be that way. 
And then because you have the Bears pick at the top of the second round, you could probably very easily trade into the back end of the first, or you can probably very easily get up to the top of the second if you're not going to be sitting there pretty naturally, and maybe Penix or Knicks falls to you. And you get your quarterback that way in the second round, and you have a Hall of Fame-level player that you took at the top of the first. So you don't have to just take the next best quarterback on the board at three or four or five, whatever they wind up, two even. If you don't, and it's up to the next uh, group to evaluate what they think Hal is, what they think the other quarterbacks are, and what they think the non-quarterbacks are. And that hasn't changed. I think this conversation, I know that's not exactly the, the sexiest take, and I think, obviously, over the next couple of months, we will all form our opinions on all of those players. We'll go back and we'll watch more of how with the different lens, like more of a critical eye, not an optimistic one, projecting towards the future. We will watch more with, like, where are the red flags that we may have missed? Uh, and, and do we think that those red flags are things that, now with the benefit of hindsight, are perma-red flags that will never change? We will watch... And, and learn more in the scouting process, the interviews, the behind the scenes, the medicals, all that kind of stuff about some of these these college prospects. And maybe for a roster that's so depleted of talent, it seems, trading back will be the right move. If they can trade back, you know, a team like New England winds up dropping, you know, winning another game and they drop to six, like, do they get desperate? And you're like, you know what? We'll take your second round or two. We'll have four top 40 picks, five top 40 picks, whatever it winds up being. Let's see, you have... Three seconds and two firsts. Yeah, you you do something like that, um, and maybe even a future first because you think New England's going to stink next year. Maybe you wind up Houston texting it, Houston texting it, uh, or I guess Chicago bearing it. Um, and that could be your plan too. So the good news is because they have like there's a ton of options here, a ton of options. And obviously, it's going to depend on what happens. If Chicago sticks with Fields and Arizona sticks with Murray and neither of them somehow trade their picks, like, could Caleb Williams fall to you? Maybe. Or if you only have to move up one spot versus two for Williams, like, that could be amazing. So there's plenty of of potential opportunities here. And I think that's the exciting thing. They've got the resources to make stuff happen. But... Making this move now was about now. It was about making sure that Sam Howell didn't continue to spiral to a place that it was irredeemable. And hopefully he's not already there. Maybe he is. Maybe we're already too far down the rabbit hole. But this was, you know, it's Ron Rivera playing arsonist fireman. He's cleaning up his own mess. And so he doesn't really get credit in that way for it. However, this was the only logical move today based off of all the things that I've talked about. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. When we get back, we will take your calls. 301-230-0980. A vibe check on a Wednesday. How do you feel about the quarterback decision? Talking to you next on the Team 980. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980. Always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Hope you're having a great Wednesday. Michael Phillips will join us at the top of the hour. Right now, though, in lieu of some calls, because uh, apparently everyone's driving around with not an interest in calling in today, uh, it's okay. We had a backup plan, and I think you're going to quite enjoy it. Uh, Logan and I had a really good conversation about Sam Howell this morning on 
take command. At the time, we didn't know that he was about to, within like five minutes of, or an hour, I should say, of our recording finishing, Ron was going to make the announcement. Originally, Rivera's press conference was scheduled for 2 o'clock this afternoon, became 10.45. He made the announcement, uh, probably because they wanted to do it before the media saw Jacoby taking the one reps at practice. Um, and But we talked about what went wrong for Sam versus the Jets and why we would both move with Brissett uh, or move forward with Brissett. So here's that conversation from Take Command, uh, just part of it, actually, the full one, of course, available on demand anytime in the free Odyssey app and wherever else you get your podcast. But here we go. Take Command on a Wednesday. Which brings us to the quarterback play. Uh, and maybe I think this is going to be an interesting discussion that will surprise people, um, maybe in a good way. Maybe people will be like, no, I think what I think, and that's typically how it goes. But um, when you go back and you watch the quarterback play and you look at Sam Howell's day, a day that he goes 6 of 22 for 56 yards, there was two interceptions, neither of which I think are his fault. Uh, you'll be able to chime in on that in a moment. And has the worst quarter, or worst QBR I've literally ever seen. I've never seen a 1.7 QBR on ESPN's quarterback metric. Um, but that's all based off the stats. When you when you actually watch, like what went wrong for him? How did this happen? Yeah, I mean, and, and again, I'm not trying to like make an excuse. I'm just like making an observation when you watch the film. On the first five plays, someone's either dropping a pass or falling down in a route, and he can't throw the football because the guy that he's trying to throw the football to and 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 i've seen guys make these throws and they lead to picks and interceptions so like he's got logan thomas on a choice and he slips and the guy's breaking on the football and it's like the whole reason that route works is because my big body's in the way of this defender coming through and you've slipped so now i got to bring the ball down got to reset my feet and i don't think he's out of place in his career you know where he can just kind of oh i'm gonna hit the comeback he's not he's not there yet and he looks a little bit flummoxed, and but I don't think it's all on him. Now, does he need to make plays on certain on, on some of these these opportunities? Yeah, but some of them are like quick game, and guys fall down. Like right. there's a uh, there's a third. What is it? A third down? Uh, yeah, third and seven. And Logan Thomas is running a dig, like he's running a basic, and he falls. And that's where the ball should go. And th- because it's such a long developing route. It's like I can't reset. I can't get to my new thing, so I scramble and I end up taking a big hit. So I just think like to start the game out. I felt I felt for him a little bit watching it because I'm like, okay, you get a, a a dink off Logan Thomas's helmet for an interception, and while that would be a tough catch, that's a definitely a catch Logan should make, right? And then you go through and you're like, this guy fell down, this guy fell down, this guy slipped, this is a bad read, this is this guy on this deep comeback falls down, and so yeah, it, Curtis does a drop on the on the play before the interception, yeah, on the RPO, which would have been an easy first down. Like it was a really nice read by Sam. Talk about deleveraging your quarterback by EB. It was a it was a great play. Love that play. Drop the ball, like, and I think that's the thing that's really frustrating about the evaluations. You come out of it and you're like, so much bad stuff happened to him so early in this game. Like for example, there was a play I was watching where I'm like, this is a good route. This is just this is independent of people falling down. Jahan runs a good route, right? And it's like a comeback route. Great job by Jahan. He's working on sauce. And it would have been a really contested throw if you throw the comeback. But I'm like, the play before, Jahan had just fallen down. So how confident is he that he can let this go into a tight window with sauce guard or draped over this guy's back? And I just think like that stuff has a cumulative effect on the game. And and especially how it happened. I think it's probably the first five, six plays. Someone's falling, dropping a pass. And it just shakes you. And 
in this type of game um, versus this type of defense, the windows are going to be extremely tight and you got to make confident throws with anticipation. And there are throws later where I'm like, you got to make this throw like this is you got to anticipate this throw, step in the pocket and throw this football. But I look back at the first, again, five, six, seven plays and you're like, I understand why you're not because you don't have a lot of confidence that it's going to be there. And I think that's the thing that makes this game and makes this evaluation as a data point so frustrating. It's because the early, the offense kind of, kind of let them down a little bit. And again, there's, that's not to say it's the receiver's fault or whatever. It's just guys, it's kind of like the, the special teams things like guys just didn't make plays when they had to make them. And I think it negatively affects Sam's outcome. Yeah, it's um, that's terrible turf up there at MetLife. Um, mostly noted as terrible for injuries. Uh, for injuries, but it just sucks. And like guys probably aren't confident running, cutting on it. And again, like they're professionals, they need to run the routes. They need to, they need to have the right technique in and out of breaks and when be on balance so they don't fall. Like all that stuff for sure. You need to catch it um, if you're Logan Thomas. You need to catch it if you're Curtis Samuel. Um, but also, like you see, to to you know solidify your point, uh, I'd like to present Exhibit A, if you will. The second interception, the yeah. last pass he winds up throwing, is like say, you know he might have been told like, hey man, you got to just trust it, you got to throw it. He throws it. It's a great call by Eb. He's got Curtis lined up in the backfield. He gets Curtis one on one on a choice route on a linebacker, and Sam puts the ball right where it's supposed to be. And Curtis slips and falls, and thus the ball goes to the linebacker. But you have to throw that with the anticipation as he's coming out of the break. You don't know that he's about to slip. You throw with the right anticipation. All of a sudden, the receiver doesn't go where he's supposed to be because he falls, and the ball goes to the other team. Like, it just sucks as a quarterback. There's nothing you can do there. His process is correct. His result is bad. And I feel for him because early in this game, he was so let down that I think you're 100% correct. Like, and you could kind of see it happening even watching it on TV and watching it live on TV. Nevertheless, when I rewatched the, the, the condensed game um, before watching, you know, the all 22 is like, you just see it happening and you're just yeah. like this, this is a kid that shot. And you think of all of the stuff that he's gone through this year, all the sacks he's taken, all the interceptions he's thrown, all this stuff. And eventually like even the most resilient of people and Sam Howell has shown an incredible resilience this year. It's something we've commented on and, and really like about the kid, but even the most resilient of people eventually hit a breaking point. And it just feels like he is at that breaking point and, or at the very least, like he's walking on thin ice going into every game. And the last couple of games early, he's been the victim of bad circumstance, bad luck. And thus the ice breaks. Yeah. And I think, you know, like, I think that's a great point about him kind of like low key being cooked a little bit. It's, it's, it's a tough thing to watch. Cause you see, I went back and watched some of his games from earlier this year. And you, again, there's some more space. There's, you know, there's more opportunity, but he's making elite throws. He's throwing into tight windows. He's anticipating throws. And it's not like he's anticipating, you know, the way, you know, a high level veteran quarterback anticipates, but like he's, he says, I know this is going to be there based on coverage. I'm going to fire the sucker in there. And to see that, it's like it's not even the same guy to a certain extent, you know. So there's been a pretty big, pretty big regression. And, you know, I, I mentioned this to you, like I was prepping for San Francisco and got to watch a lot of Brock Purdy stuff. And I think Brock Purdy gets this rap of kind of being a game manager. When you watch it, you're like, when he's got to make throws, he is dicing the defense. And it's and it's in this kind of vein of like that, that what elite quarterbacks do. He doesn't have to do it very often because they're so efficient running the football. And maybe that's a conversation that we can have later, you know, about like, 
EB protecting him, whatever identity of this team. But, you know, there's a there's a dig. I forget who they're playing, and it's Tampa 2, and he throws the ball, you know, in Tampa 2, that Mike's running right down the middle of the field. Yeah. And there's an in-cut, and he throws it right to the back of the, the, the guy's head, and the receiver comes across and just grabs the ball right before the mic and turn all the way around. And I thought, that is A – that doesn't even look open to me like that doesn't even look nfl open but great job and he does that so consistently and he trusts his playmakers and guys go up and they're winning 50 50 balls and they found a way to get mccaffrey on a linebacker and it's and it's still like tight window high level anticipation throws and when sam's been in there you know the past four weeks that's just not a thing like the the throws aren't there and again they've played better defenses things are tighter i think the last time we saw even a shade of that was versus um was versus the was Dallas in the first half and it's been rough since then and I think the other thing that shows up and and kind of surprises me a little bit when I watch the Purdy film is the way that he works the middle of the field and Sam has gotten away from that almost completely so those are two things that I think are very large red flags regarding Sam's play but in the context of this game I think he never was able to kind of find his confidence find his rhythm and I think back to stuff Kyle used to do Sean used to do when they were working with quarterbacks is let's get him a couple easy throws early, right? Make help his confidence grow. And that's a thing. And so in this game, you get two drops and one leads to an interception. And so how confident is that football player going into the rest of that game? And I would say not very. So that was something that I wanted to ask you about because the play calling, I think, you know, when I went back and watched it, you know, I'm ready to be mad and it's like, ah, they dropped him back a ton. And it's like, now there's quick game here. They threw a couple as they got into like the third and fourth drives of the game. I mean, the third drive of the game um, where he had had the, the drop season and people falling down every yeah. play basically up until that point. They start off with a screen and they get Curtis a big gain first down. Yeah. And you're like, this is sick. Good job, BB. Yeah. Um, and they start the next drive, I believe, with a screen to Terry. And so they do you know, screen it a little bit. They get the running game going, obviously, in this game a little bit. Chris Rodriguez was fantastic. I do wish they'd run it more, obviously. That's a topic we've long covered. Yeah. But, like, they did they did run it. And it, feel like as, it felt like as they got deeper into drives, then they would revert to more drop back. It was like, all right, drive starter, bang. All right, let's keep it going on the ground, bang. Even there was, I think it's the third drive of the game, they ran it twice in a row. And I was like, oh, yeah. Looky there. Looky I think, there. I think it's the, the fourth drive of the game. Or was it the, the fourth drive? Screen and then two runs, right? Is that what you're yeah. talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. That drive, whatever number that was. Math has yeah. never been my strong suit. I mean, Point third, is, fourth. The, yeah. the third was a three and out, so I understand why they're oh, like okay. Yeah, maybe together. it was drive, drive four, drive five. That was the, the screen to Curtis, and then drive five was the screen to Terry. Right. Um, by the way, how often do you have like five, six drives in the first quarter? Yeah, <laughs> I mean. Crazy. Bad. Um, but any, anyway, um, I felt like as they got deeper into drives, there was a cut as they started to like get a little bit going offensively. Obviously, they never really got much going with Sam in there, but they would get deeper into these drives and then they would revert to drop back. Um, and maybe there's a play action in there, but I, I'm just curious what you made of of EB's attempts to get him out of that funk. Um, and from you know from a play calling standpoint, from a rhythm standpoint, from a you know hey let's take some off your plate and run the football standpoint. What'd you, what'd you make of that? Yeah, so I think that fourth drive is interesting because I think it's it's exactly what you're talking about. You get some positive momentum. Uh, you, get that screen to, <clears throat> you get that screen to Curtis, which, again, is well executed. Love the offensive line getting out there like Wiley. I mean, you see the advantage of having a guy like Wiley out there who's just hyper-mobile, like hyper-athlete, gets out into space, does a great job. And I, and I think, 
you know, like that's why you brought this guy in is because he's he's a good athlete and he and he does some stuff in the run game later. Where I was like, man, I, I think that's extremely high level, you know. So yeah. and again, he gives up the sack. Unfortunately, I think that fourth drive also ends with him getting smoked around the edge. He, has, he gives up a sack, and you know, usually yeah. we're pretty we're, we're kind of like uh, we're kind of saying like, oh, you know, Wiley's not playing as bad as people think. And I think when you look at the course of the sixty-one plays of this game, he played pretty well, but. That sack's on him, and I think he'll right. tell you that, right? He right, and that's the hands. thing. is like, can you make yep. key plays at key times? Right. But anyway, continue. No, no, sorry. and I, I think, no, that's a great point on, on him specifically. And I think uh, the first first and 10 is is a play that I like. I like the play. Like if you said, Logan, draw this play up. Why are you calling it? Do you like it? It's basically a way for them to get to play action stuff. It's a play action concept off a drop back. And so it just allows them to get more eligibles out. They've got chip help on both sides. They've got another element to it. So basically it's a post by this receiver on the right. I forget who it is. It might be Terry. Deep post, a high cross across the middle of the field, kind of attacking that void where you're hoping coverage carries the post. And then, so usually that's what you get in a play action concept, right? And everything yep. else is kind of dead. because I run that play just, on Madden all the yeah, time. Tight a high cross is always open. And, and they ran it versus, um, gosh, they ran it versus uh, Miami. And that was the one where Leno didn't block the the free runner and he kind of mm. had to put the ball up to Terry. So they added an element. It's not off play action anymore. They've got a third element where they're running like a big swirl route coming into the void that could potentially be vacant. So love it. I mean, it's it's there. It's it's a really nice concept. Um, and I just I, I remember thinking, like, why doesn't this work? And everything's tight. There's tight window throws across the board. And I think you're asking him in that moment to do probably more than he's ready to do. And again, that's not saying that he's physically incapable of doing it, but based on that concept, the reason that it's great is you're saying, I'm going to read the post kind of high cross space. If that's dead, I can either check the football down to the flat or I can work this swirl that's coming back into my vision, but you got to work through it kind of quick. And it's mm -hmm. just not, it's, he just, I don't think he's there right now. Like just watching him, I don't think he's there right now. So then it's second, and then it ends up being second and 10. And you run a choice, which I think is a great call. Like run a choice or like a CEO, I forget what it was, but like some something short, something to kind of incrementally gain back that yardage that you've lost. And I, I remember thinking to myself, like you have Byron Pringle running the corner of a choice, right? So it's like a, a choice is usually like you get an outside release corner, pick this coverage player so that the, um, that the choice runner can kind of, give more space to work and i'm like i know and and, and in my mind i'm like he's going to work the choice side um sam so why not put terry at the corner like why not have him draw that matchup and work that corner out so your high level throw or your, your two level throw is choice to corner and terry's running the corner where you get a guy who's gonna and so like there were times like that where i'm like this is a good concept like the call but kind of to your point and i think you brought it up quite a bit is like can we formation this where our playmakers are going to be in the progression to that side. And, and, and I, there are reasons not to do that, but I'm also like, at this point, let's try to find ways to get that done. And so then you're in a third and long situation. You run an, uh, an Omaha takeoff. So an out and up Curtis yeah. wins, like he's open. Like, and I, yes. you know, I'm not a big fan of like straight vertical routes into a defense, but they're in a tight split. They run this out and up. Curtis is wide open and you give up a sack. So uh, I think, it's when you look at that, you say, I like the first, I like the play the first time. I like the second play. Sam, I don't think is in a good spot to read that out the way it needs to be read out. And then I think on the, on the choice, um, he misses the throw, but I think someone trips or slips or something like that and it ends up being third and 10. So you had this really excellent momentum 
explosive run, explosive screen, and then it just immediately dries up and dies. And that's just, yeah, that's tough. So I was wondering what happened on that second down play because he just throws the ball like out of range for Pringle. And yeah. if someone slipped underneath on the choice and he just kind of got rid of it to Pringle because he's double covered. Yeah. Um, that would that makes a lot of sense because you got nothing. Um, I also think that's one of the other things that is worth pointing out is the way like he vacated a ton of clean pockets in this game. And and like the way when Jacoby comes in, Jacoby extends plays versus the way Sam extends plays. Yeah. And I think, you know, in some ways he's a victim of his own success earlier in the year. He had so much success running out of the pocket and making plays off schedule that's and something like, we talked about is like is this yeah. going to be a crutch and a bad habit and i remember watching i think it was the patriots game he's making explosive plays and you're like he's leaving too early and yes is this something that's going to bite him in the butt down the road and this consider is, him bitten yes right so, yeah, I don't know how much there is to add there, but like you watch it, it, you know, when we start talking about which we're going to in a moment, the differences when Brissett comes in and what Jacoby does versus what Sam does, Jacoby's willingness to stay in the pocket, obviously Jacoby's veteran ability to throw with anticipation. Um, but the way that Jacoby moves within the pocket and the way that he has a sense of it, because there are times where like he, one of the plays that we already talked about was when I think it was the second drive of the game when he rolls out and he gets absolutely blasted and Correct. he nearly, it looks very similar to the, uh, the pick to Logan, obviously the Logan, uh, play is a designed rollout, but like that same, like he's rolling to his left hard and then takes a shot. Um, and this is the one where the ball pops straight up in the air and luckily falls to the turf, but he gets blasted. He's not under pressure. Like he just runs into pressure. But and that's... I think, I think that to, to like make a point that we've been making all year, when we say that this offensive line is not the worst in the NFL, and we say this offensive line is playing okay, that they are an average offensive line. One, go look at the rushing stats. Yards per yeah. carry, I'll say it again, they're they're doing well. Um, two, can, and by the way, they're doing well in spite of the fact that neither of us really like the way they scheme up their run game. They just yeah. they hit blocks uh, with consistency, enough well, consistency, yeah. and their backs are doing a good enough job. Um, and then two, I think you know more importantly to the pass game stuff, if you create a pocket and your quarterback's in it and he's safe and he runs out of it and runs into pressure, that's not the offensive line's fault. Yeah. And that is what happened five, six, seven times in this game. Easy. Yeah. And on that play specifically, that's the one where Logan's running the dig. They're basically set up the play so that his eyes should go to Logan. And I think he's doing the right thing. His eyes are going to Logan over the middle field and Logan trips and he falls yeah. down. And so right when Logan falls, and this is what you can tell when a guy's not in a good spot is right when Logan trips, the ball comes down. It's like, where do I go with the ball? And there's a comeback. There's some other opportunities, but it's, that's, you got to have that composure. And you've seen Jacob or you saw Jacoby last week, you know, he was expecting to work Logan over the middle of the field. It wasn't there. He had to reset and throw, uh, throw the, the kind of slot comeback to Curtis Samuel. And I just think there's a, there's an element of composure to Jacoby's game, which comes from experience, which comes from not getting hit a thousand times or whatever it was 55 55 sacks whatever that number is and so yeah. on this play i think it's just it, it shows kind of to me where his head's at right you get two drops you get that other one where number where um where the next play first and 10 on this drive jahan falls down yep. okay not there for the throw logan falls down on the third and seven and I, the, he's not in a spot where he's confident enough to be like okay i know what to do let me just get there yeah. he's he's he's, he's I don't want to say because I think this has, it, it, he's seeing ghosts a little bit, and I think yeah. that that's that's part of 
the issue that you were talking about or you've been talking about for the last four weeks is like when you leverage this guy to the hilt all the time, like it's not going to be, he's not a, he's not a veteran that can handle this responsibility and you've leveraged him to the hilt and he's starting to kind of wither a little bit. And how do you kind of get him back on track is, is going to be the million dollar question going to the rest of the season. Yeah. And just real quick, a note on that before we ask the question of like what to do next, this is happening to Patrick Mahomes right now too. Yeah. Um, like Patrick Mahomes for the first time, probably in his entire career as a starter is so, I mean, he's leveraged, which is fine because he's Patrick Mahomes and, and they are not the same. Patrick is still doing incredible stuff each yeah. and every week, but like you can see when you watch even the, the, the TV, you know, stuff, I'm not going back and watching all 22 chiefs tape, just in case anyone yeah, is worried about either. my well being. Um, but like. <laughs> You see Travis Kelsey open underneath. Like you see some of the stuff available to him and he's starting to just like be like, I gotta make a play. I gotta I gotta get the ball downfield because I can't trust my guys to, to catch right. the ball on a consistent right. basis. And it's it's start and also like his demeanor, like he is starting to break a little bit in a way that we've never seen Patrick Mahomes break. And I, I think Mahomes will be just fine. Um they'll probably win a couple of playoff games. Like their defense is playing outrageous, and that's why they're so competitive. Um, but you see, you see Mahomes dealing with this on a Mahomesian level. I can't imagine what it's like to be Sam Howell right now dealing with this at his level. And because, oh, by the way, also you don't have, uh, you know, the relationship that you have with the Travis Kelsey with anybody. You don't have a great defense that's playing at a top five level that that you know is going to keep you in the game. Like the pressure of that is so so immense and it is certainly withering down sam howell if not straight up have broken him we will discuss this more next with michael phillips 910 the fan in richmond and be reporter for the washington times on the hoffman show on the team 980 and always live on the free odyssey app